You're listening to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views, and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. Hello, I'm Colin Steed, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Learning Now Radio. Learning Now Radio is Learning Now TV's bi-monthly podcast for all learning and performance professionals. This is Learning Now Radio with Colin Steed and Lisa Minogue-White. And welcome to episode nine of Learning Now Radio. Today, we're talking about celebrating failure. Now, we all know that normally people don't really like telling stories about how they failed at something. It's usual, especially at conferences, that you only hear about a resounding success. But my guess is that most successes had some degree of failure attached to them. And from that failure, they took the lessons learned to create a successful project. So celebrating failure is a most important part of our learning journey. And today we're particularly pleased to welcome someone who is prepared to talk about their failures and how they learned from them to create a success. Lisa caught up with L&D consultant Mark Shepard, who tells us about a project that turned failure into success at the Royal Canadian Air Force. So today on Learning Now Radio, I'm absolutely delighted to have Mark Shepard join me. I met Mark over at DevLearn last year, but um, seen lots of correspondence and lots of interesting little tidbits on Twitter and via his blog um, and online and was really keen to have a conversation with him. And he didn't disappoint. He tells me that he was once referred to as manager of cool stuff. Um, but in his day-to-day guise, he is a veteran of L&D and a human capital specialist. Um, so, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time all the way from Canada today to talk to us on Learning Now Radio. Thanks very much for having me. Well, um, you really don't have to thank us because I, the reason why I was so keen to get you on is you're going to talk about something that not many people are brave enough to talk about, and you're going to talk about failure. And I think that's incredibly important. Some of the lessons that we can learn, and we talk a lot in learning about learning from lessons and learning from other people's experience. But often, we are a little bit nervous, a little bit reticent to do it. But I know that you've been giving sessions at leading conferences over the last few months on exactly this. So Mark, why is it so important that we need to talk about this? I think it's important to talk about these kind of stories for two reasons, uh, one of which is that when we're at these conferences that you and I go to, we hear a lot of the success stories and emulation of success is is a wonderful thing. It's always nice for people to see what is truly possible, but I think it's also important for people to remember that things don't always go as planned. There is a Murphy's Law of corporate L&D uh, that I'm sure people are familiar with, so you know we, we need to have a balance. And one of the other reasons why I think this particular story is important to tell is that there are people in uh, who are working in the corporate L&D sphere who sometimes get really unreasonable requirements and uh, they do their best to make the case that this original request isn't going to work as planned and 
for whatever reason, their, uh, you know, their requesters, uh, these things fall upon deaf ears and then they have to get through to the failure stage before people acknowledge, well, maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. So if nothing else, maybe this can serve as a, um, you know, as, as some evidence for people to go back and say, hey, look what happened when another organization did something similar to what you're asking me. Can we please not be like them? And I think that's really important because I, just like you, I love going to conferences. I think it's really important, despite the power of uh, mediums like Twitter, to build your personal learning network. It's really great to be able to connect with other people, listen to other stories. But if we get real here, normally in the sessions that are presented to us, those sessions, of course, are people demonstrating the maximum capability that they have. So they will bring their their biggest, their brightest, their best to share with us. But where the really interesting conversations come up is the ones after the conference and over dinner and over drinks where people go, wow, this is really what I'm doing. And that's, that's, why, that's why I like the fact that you've actually taken this out on the road and said, right, this is the story. So Mark, tell us about that story and the key lessons that you want people to leave with when they hear that story. At the time when this went down, I was working as a civilian contractor for the Royal Canadian Air Force, and uh, I was working in the training innovation center at the the main technical training school for uh, Air Force technicians. Uh, basically, if you want to turn a wrench on a military aircraft in Canada, the place I was working is where people would go to school. And the the root of the, the the problem that came up was really a human capital um, issue. The Air Force needed to to redeploy people with certain sets of skills and and reassign tasks to other people. Um, and with a military as as compact and as modest as Canada's, Canada's is, that kind of flexibility is really really important. So. The word came down to us as the as the training establishment for these particular skills that uh, we needed to to bridge a gap for some training. There were some uh, a particular flavor of technicians that was going to take on a new set of skills, and we'd already built a new course for the entry level technicians that were that were taking it, and they were going out to the field and and using their skills appropriately. But the problem that the Air Force had was they still had about four hundred and twenty technicians who were already in the field who didn't have this new set of skills and we had to try to bridge that gap and the Air Force really wanted uh, a knowledge-based solution so that uh, these technicians could pass a threshold knowledge exam and then would be able to do practical training at their units and so my my group's responsibility was this was this knowledge piece so if you can imagine it um, it's two days before our Christmas stand down and uh, you know we're all looking forward to a break we've had a number of fairly high profile projects on the go and we get a call from Air Force headquarters in Winnipeg telling us about this particular issue and they said yeah if you guys could have all of this solution pulled together for us by the first of February Um, that'd be great and we're going to pilot that with some students and then we want to go live for everybody on April 1st well after we picked our jaws up off the floor and (laughs) And, and made some some well-founded uh, counter-arguments to the Air Force's request, as you know, respectfully as we can. Um, it's not always a good thing to say, uh, 
you're on crack, sir. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, it, it, it did get a bit of a workout. Um, but what we, you know, what we did was we, you know, we said, you know, we're happy to take these kind of things on and we have, we have the capacity to do uh, some pretty neat things, but we had some concerns, not only about the timeline, but we also had concerns about the approach that they wanted to use for training. So we made our recommendations back and forth and said, look, if you want this to work and we certainly want this to work, then here's the things that you're going to have to do because it, we are the training establishment. So we like to think that we've got the knowledge for it. They thanked us politely for our feedback and said the date stands. So (laughs) Uh, there will be so many people, Mark, listening to this, both shaking and nodding their heads simultaneously if they can, as long as it doesn't hurt their necks too much, going, yes, I I can sympathize and empathize with this situation. We've all been here. We we have and and uh, in an environment like um, you know like the military where we're not a you know we're not a for profit organization it, it it may be a bit of a different equation for some people um, and you know there may be some organizations who say you know we have the money to throw at this and if it doesn't work that's the cost of doing business uh, which is great but I think those kind of things are pyrrhic victories as far as L and D is concerned yeah and I think they're very rare I think even in commercial organizations you know the, when we talk about departments under scrutiny and organizations I think learning and development probably the first to people's Great. minds so uh, you know I doubt whether there are that many people thinking oh it's okay we have the luxury of pushback on those time scales and pushback on money so yeah I think we've all been here so what, yeah. how, how did that play out for you then Mark? Well, let's just say that uh, when we got back in January, it was a very exciting time. Um, We did the, uh, you know, we did what the military likes to refer to as a, as a bit of a surge. And uh, we got uh, just about everybody who needed to be involved, involved in this. And everybody who was, you know, who was involved in this project knew um, how challenging it was going to be to try to meet this this um, this February 1st deadline. Um, and we did a couple of radical things. We realized that if this is going to be just a very simple knowledge piece, that we're going to have to be some sacrifices in terms of the output and the learning materials that people were going to, to receive. Um, so not exactly the flashiest uh, package of content that they received, but we took the self-paced study packages. We um, built some, some interactions or we designed some interactions for people. We actually had our, our imagery technician um, do some amazing work on uh, shooting some new and updated video that was required for the course, um, which was which was just fantastic. And uh, we actually turned the development effort into a um, into a bit of a, a production floor. And I got. Uh, four keen young uh, technicians from our holding platoon who hadn't been through their courses yet, who had good computer skills, and I basically turned them into production monkeys while I played art director and and uh, high-level designer and architect for the content themselves. Um, I gave them a very quick crash course on the authoring platform that we were going to use for it, and after a day and a half, we started crunching content together. And uh, at the end of it, we managed to pull together 29 pieces of e-learning in 14 working days. Wow. So that's fantastic. So thanks very much, Mark, for joining us on on a hang on a minute. (laughs) I know that's not the end of the story because we could (laughs) say, so that's great. You delivered it all. It was all fantastic. Wonderful. But what then happened, Mark? Well, we uh, we avoided patting ourselves on the back because we knew that that, you know, of course, this material hadn't 
um, hit the students yet. So the packages were all loaded to the Air Force's learning management system. And uh, there was a pilot group of students um, out in Alberta um, in the fighter community and uh, another smaller group of students uh, in Quebec in another part of the, the fighter community. And uh, so instead of taking advantage of things like spacing and interspersing of content, um, because all of this material was um, you know, was operated, built on the assumption that students were going to be doing some hands-on work concurrent with the knowledge. This was all knowledge. So in the interest of time, they actually had the students sit down at, in, almost in seclusion and go through the packages one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, because they were going to be doing um, a threshold knowledge test, a revised threshold knowledge test. And uh, God love them. Every single one of them managed to spectacularly fail the knowledge test when it was administered. Wow. I mean, I, I apologize to listeners now having flashbacks to cramming for finals and things at college and university, because it really sounds like those days when you hold yourself up in your room and hope to goodness that you can manage to regurgitate it onto a paper for better or worse. So I, I can imagine what the environment would have been like. And yes, of course, you know, high profile, um, uh, high demand course and everybody fails a knowledge check. So where do you go from there, Mark? Uh, well, I can safely say there was a very high volume of email and telephone traffic back and forth between our facility and uh, Air Force Training Headquarters in Winnipeg and uh, also the, the, the two affected locations. So what happened was the, the Air Force realized that uh, perhaps this wasn't our best direction after all, and uh, so we did a couple of uh, we actually did a couple of face to face remediation visits to the students in in question, and uh, and got a sense of what their experience was and some things that they would some things that they would like to see. Um, we identified and and our group uh, you know who did the content were not immune from you know from any culpability from this. Uh, when time is short, we know the quality sometimes suffers, and there were some errors that were made in the content and we fully own that so we knew there was some remediation effort that that, that did have to happen but the the unfortunate thing that that also came as a result of this is that bureaucratic organizations um, like to do what I refer to as overwhelming the problem with expertise and so in the remediation effort um, anybody with expertise uh, who felt they needed to have a say in all of this decided that they were going to have their say and when you've got a lot of high-ranking high-expertise people, this starts to become a very, very expensive exercise. So it actually took several months to get the remediated content back up and running and authorized by everybody who needed to authorize it and uh, get the students back to the stage where they could pass the threshold exam and then actually start on their practicals. Wow. And, and like I said, unfortunately for many, this will not be an atypical scenario but I suppose the key here is and and like you said it's, it's great having hindsight isn't it and you can see the way that you lay out the story I know that when you present it is you you can see what's coming you can see the punchline and you know that through that the squeeze on time the um, compromises that you have to make on learning design that there is going to be a payback in the future and I know in particular particularly in an organization uh, like the uh, armed forces and there are critical deadlines you've got to hit it can be really really difficult to influence your stakeholders to reflect on that and what the impact may well be but now you've been able to stand back from it mark others in this situation 
What advice would you give them is their best chance to influence their stakeholders to say, at the very least, please let us consider these things because we've been down this well-trodden path before and we know where it leads. Having told this story, uh, you know, a few times to to people and and getting you know similar kinds of similar kinds of reactions, you know, I've I've got a lot of the benefit of hindsight. I think one of the the most important things that people should consider if they find themselves in this situation is to take a, a page from the project management book and actually take the time to do a really good risk assessment. Uh, you know, first of all, what's the risk if we don't? do this particular task, like if we leave things at the status quo, what's the risk if we do it exactly the way you want it, you know, given our concerns as the ex- as the learning experts, and, uh, you know, and also what's the risks if we try, you know, try things a couple of different ways. So whether it's in terms of, um, you know, changes to productivity, um, impact on a corporate objective, or perhaps there's some kind of fiscal impact, or maybe there's a regulatory or compliance impact. Uh, I think those pieces need to to be looked at very closely before anybody starts, um, you know, starts metaphorically putting the putting the pen to paper. But one of the other things that that I get people to do is is think of what's possible. Um, I remember a number of years ago uh, at a conference, there was a lady who was talking about getting people past objections. And uh, she said, use these three magic words. She said, how might we, as the start of the question, and it may be possible that, you know, you as the L&D practitioner may only see the the obstacles in the way, but if you take a couple of minutes to think, okay, how might we actually pull this off? Um, so I was balancing some of that on my end with what we knew we could probably do, being mindful of the risks. Uh, the other caution I will give people is that you know, in spite of your incredibly well-founded arguments, and you may be completely in the right. It's entirely possible that you may just have to play the cards that you're dealt, and and let things happen. It, it, it's unfortunate, but uh, if you're not with the right level of influence and authority to actually make a change to the request, you might have to, to, to you know, grin and bear it, do your best effort, and, uh, and, and then talk about things in, in, in an after action or a project review. Yeah, and, and if you are in that situation where you feel, okay, we're going to have to make compromises, let's be super pragmatic now then, Mark. What are the things that you would say, okay, well, in an ideal situation from a learning design perspective, you would want to do this. But if you're really under pressure, from our experience, these are the things that you could possibly move into a phase two or ways in which you do things differently. If you find yourself in a situation like this, then one of the things that can work to your advantage, and it worked to to our advantage in this situation, is we had a lot of dedicated support. We had a lot of sponsorship at our end to try to make this try to make this thing this thing happen. So, for example, our um, our technical information support folks did yeoman work in getting a bunch of standalone computers available with software installed for our, you know, for my my technicians from the holding platoon to actually start doing the work. Normally, these are requests that take weeks to process. They did it in a matter of hours. We also had subject matter experts that were freed up and dedicated. They were told they had no other responsibilities 
two projects except for this one. And I was in the same boat. I was pulled off a project um, because I had, you know, I had a lot of the 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 e-learning design expertise to try to make something out of this. And so I was dedicated to this task and to nothing else. And I think that's what actually gave us that ability to 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 do a to do a surge and to do an all hands on deck activity. And if you're in that position to make the influence and say, here's what I need to make this happen, that's something that's absolutely critical. Um, short notice projects you just can't do with part-time resources. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And you know, the impact of availability of subject matter experts is something that I've certainly seen lots of experience of. That you know, it's there, it's in the organisation wherever it resides. But often, because the learning projects are not a core part of that person's work, they never become priority. So unless you have that influence, like you say, to say right down tools, this is what's got to happen. It can always be very difficult to secure that time anyway. So you're absolutely right. I think if you're going to fight on one front, that's a front to fight on. Exactly. And a, a smart organization is going to is going to take a look at the project review and and, um, and, and a project QA and and take a look at some of the, the administrative overhead that just starts to creep into our day to day work. And we can say, you know what, do we really need to make things this complicated? Because look at what we were able to do when we were when we were really pushed. So that can be a good thing for organizations. Still, it's a bit of a painful lesson to learn, but sometimes that's the light you need to shine into that area so that you can make some changes and 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 have things actually working the way you need them to work. Well, the other thing, of course, that people can do is because, as you said, you've spoken on this this subject and you've written about it. Mark, if people want a bit of evidence to be able to um, share with their stakeholders and tell this story, where can they find you online? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, that's probably easiest at uh, Mark Learns, and uh, I am more than happy to uh, to share this story and some of the details with uh, with people. They can also find me on my blog. They can look for me on Facebook and on WordPress at the Hitchhiker's Guide to Learning. Fantastic. Well, Mark, once again, thank you so much for joining us on Learning Now Radio. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. Well, that's all we have for this episode. I hope you found some useful takeaways to jot down and use back at work. And please remember to share Learning Now Radio with your work colleagues, your Twitter followers and, of course, your Facebook friends. So once again, thank you so much for listening to Learning Now Radio. Please help us to spread the word by subscribing and rating us on iTunes. And Lisa and I look forward to you joining us in two weeks' time.